Hey everyone, I just want to preface this episode by saying that I've been having some mic issues recently, and I more recently figured out what those mic issues were and have since fixed it. But unfortunately, there are a few episodes that were recorded before I did, of which this is one. So I'm sorry if my voice sounds a bit distant or echoey in the episode. I hope it doesn't detract too much from the listening experience. Alexander Wales. And this is episode 36, Effective Brainstorming. So, what does brainstorming even mean in the context of writing? Is this just more about planning? Are we just talking about organizing our thoughts and stories again? What is this? Well, okay. So when I write, I have ideas that are going to go into the story, and those ideas are sort of separate from, like, A just happened, then B therefore must happen, or it's sort of about figuring out what my different options are for B at some points and at other points it's pulling in pieces of neat things into the story like neat neat directions the story could take neat characters that could exist within the story and and things like that mm-hmm. um I, ideally brainstorming happens before planning or as part of planning a story opposed to while you're writing yeah i mean that that's kind of a philosophical question uh and probably relates to the mode of writing that you prefer but for for me like trying to think up a new character when i'm twenty thousand words into a story it is a sign that i'm doing things wrong because right that new character is gonna take the story in a different direction or if it's like a new location or uh, like a superpower or whatever if you're just adding those things in willy-nilly that doesn't seem prudent yeah. to me. I'm I am someone who does add things in willy nilly, and it is definitely not prudent. It's some one of those things that sometimes I think I've described my my for Pokemon especially. I've described my process of being like I've got these beacons in mind that I'm reaching towards in the story, and that sometimes includes basically being like, okay, I need a action beat in this particular part of the story that I'll explore some character advancement that Red's been going through and his interaction with another character or whatever, you know, that I'm doing with it. So let me just, let me brainstorm up like an, uh, an interesting combat thing that'll that'll address all these different things that I want to uh, put into the story. And it's definitely harder doing that in the moment than it is having these things like in mind and working towards them ahead of time. Yeah, to some extent that's unavoidable in serial fiction. Mm-hmm. You can't write chapter one knowing absolutely everything that's going to happen for the next 40 or 50 chapters. That's mm-hmm. just, there, there's too much detail and it's too dense. You would just waste all your time planning, especially since things don't necessarily turn out how you planned them to. Right. So you you spend your time over planning. So there's some, there's some aspect of brainstorming that has to come in. I'm not going to say I plan everything out, but... Mm-hmm. I I think things tend to go better when brainstorming happens prior to planning, and then planning happens, and then writing happens after that, instead of all three happening at the same time. Right. You're probably not going to fully recognize the impact this news is going to have in your story until you've already finished writing another 30 chapters or something. Yeah. I recently added a new character to my story. Uh, I've been 
planning to add her in actually for about a year now. I kept kind of putting it off because it didn't quite fit where things were and I thought it would take up too much time of the story to introduce her earlier. And plan- putting a character in, brainstorming up a new character in, that's definitely, I think, one of the more common things that happens because there's a lot of times in stories where, like, you realize there's some, some like, you, you're writing out your story and you might think something like, and then they meet the old wise wizard in their journey to, you know, take the magic sword to the evil place. Uh, and you're like, okay, they're going to meet an old wise wizard. I'll figure out the idiosyncrasies of this old wise wizard and, like, his backstory and all that stuff later when I get there or something like that. I just, like, it's going to happen somewhere halfway through the story, so I'm going to, like, start working on the story as I as I think about it. And then that kind of brainstorming happens, right? Yeah. I guess what's so so what's your process of your if you're if you're brainstorming up the old wise wizard? Well, so to start with, I I try to brainstorm as far out from having to actually write the thing as possible. Mm-hmm. Because if you know that there is this wizard coming up, then you you have like several weeks and then you'll occasionally just think about this wizard when you're like shopping for groceries or something. That's a much more organic way of brainstorming you're thinking about this wizard when you're in different contexts or like different things have have brought him to mind right right like you're getting coffee or something and you're watching the barista make it and you're like you know maybe 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 he likes coffee yeah maybe he likes coffee or maybe his like process of magic is like alchemical um a mocha or something yeah if you're spending you know a week doing that where you just sort of Think about it from time to time in different contexts around different people. That's usually better. Uh, assuming that you are not doing that, that you are sitting down and you're like, well, I have self-imposed or outside context imposed deadline coming up. I usually start with word association. So there, there are lots of websites that will give you like word graphs or things like that. Mm-hmm. I find that a little better than making my own. So you know that if you ask someone to name 50 states, most people cannot do it, even if they know all 50 states. Because I think it's related to the uh, availability heuristic mm-hmm. that where they'll be like, okay, state I live in, you know, state I visited, and then they get around, down around state number 40 of 50. Right. And then it gets really hard because you can only think of the states that you've already thought of before. Those were the ones that were most available to your brain. They start to gain a weight as you've been thinking about them recently. That makes yeah. it harder to think of new ones. Yeah. Right. And so for for me, having... Having like a word association website helps a lot because I can sort of exhaust the most immediately available ideas that I have. And then I can go, okay, what's, what do other people associate with wizardry? Are there a ton of random generators online for all sorts of random crap? And that, that helps you bring in outside ideas and bring in the new context that you do, that I would normally get by just walking around, just thinking about something for a week. Mm-hmm. Wikipedia has a special random page you go to. It gives you a different Wikipedia article every time. Mm-hmm. I have found myself using that a lot. Not so much anymore, but um, it's very helpful if you want to just get an idea from somewhere. Yeah, getting primers in terms of like free associating from one thing to another until you your, your brain does the magical connection thing it does where it just starts jumping from one idea to another in some thing that we still don't really understand and just kind of call inspiration right yeah it's it's good to give it a primer every so often it's much harder to be inspired if you're just sitting in a room meditating even if meditation isn't so bad but like just in the, in the general idea it's it's harder to think of new ideas when you're sitting in a room thinking than it is to like you said go about your life 
going to the supermarket, taking a shower, driving to work, all these things, and just like in the back of your mind considering it. Yeah, especially because it, if you're like people do those bubble di- diagrams, right, where mm-hmm. they you you write a word and you circle it, and then you put little branches off and you make more words or whatever. That's that's how a lot of people do brainstorming. I don't find that very helpful because I feel like you only get about 10% of your you get 10% of the way through what's in your mind and then your brain will keep going back to those things, especially if they're already on the page because right. you're just reinforcing those as your ideas and your brain is lazy and doesn't want to do more work to like go into the depths of your mind. It's like, I already gave you some, just take <laughs> yeah. them. It's like, we got 10 circles here. How many more do you need? So yeah. And then if that doesn't pan out correctly, then I go to, you know, go on Reddit. And like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just uh, in general, looking for ideas from other from other sources, uh, whether it's stories in the genre that you're that you're writing or looking through your old old works for things that you didn't really use. There's a lot of a lot of times it happens with characters, like from projects that I abandoned, um, the, like the characters are still there. Right, and for more or less, they can be taken from one story to another. Sometimes the setting is just so different that it won't really work, obviously. But the characters themselves can—they're transferable a lot of time. Yeah, as and or at least their mannerisms are, or their um, beliefs are, and stuff like that. And then you just kind of reforge new connections to the story and the characters and things as you as you think over how to fit them in. Yeah, I, I borrow stuff from old D and D games a lot. Mm-hmm. I, yep. I do, you know, a lot of uh, dungeon mastering. And so I have a whole bunch of characters that were created for for one reason or another, and <laughs> ideas that many of which didn't even show up in the game. I'm sure because yeah. the players just yeah. went in a whole different direction. I also have a idea scratch pad. So if I have an idea and I'm like, yeah, I could like hang a story on that, or you know, I find that like a character thing compelling. I don't usually do it with characters because it's. I mean, your your characters and your plot should be related to one another. You should have this right. s- sort of coherent theme and feeling and tone and all this stuff that should be sort of central to to a story which is part of why i think brainstorming ahead of time is so important because you don't want to you don't want to bring in a character who has basically no relation to your plot as it stands right Right. Or, or who's just getting adapted in but the the relationship between the two is not helping your the central thrust of whatever it is you're trying to say in your story yeah, it's also one of those things where, I mean, like, if you're, like, like I said, like, you're basically thinking, like, okay, I've got a plot, I'm gonna need a character here for this purpose, and then come up with the character as it goes. And sometimes that character becomes larger than you originally intended and, like, takes on life of their own. That's really cool. Which might disrupt things, uh, as they go, but it's, it's kind of part of the writing process. It's very rare to have it, in my experience anyway, from my writing, it's very rare to feel the other way around, like, oh, I really just want this character to be in the story, regardless of, like, what the plot's doing with it. But right. if that ever does happen, it's usually a matter of, like, it's not, like, an important character. Like, it'll just be someone that's just, like, there for a... Like, I'll, I'll try to find a way to to have them serve the plot. If I, Like, if there's some, some generic bad guy minion that needs to show up or something like that, maybe they'll fit that role. Yeah, minor characters I find myself having to brainstorm for a lot. Because mm-hmm. I, need, I need someone who the main character can talk to, and they can't be, like, too important on their own. Right. And that's usually where I have gaps left in my outline or my notes. Yeah, and you don't want them to be too flat, right? Like you don't want, like sometimes you really want them to have some personhood to them. Yeah, but they're just they're just not going to be big enough to warrant a full blown character. Yeah, and that's actually a really hard part of characterization is getting across a depth of character very quickly without 
sort of including super serious stuff. Breaking the narrative. Yeah, you don't I, like you don't want to have people talk unrealistically about their like deep personal tragedies or whatever. You have to right. you have to do that characterization through minor stuff. But that's that's one of the places where you have to brainstorm a lot because you need to come up with as many ideas as possible so you can find the one good one. Right. And give yourself time for it. Yeah. Also, this idea of like taking a concept that you think is cool and just kind of brainstorming how to make it work. Right. There's like brainstorming in the sense of like, okay, I want a story about underwater aquatic civilization. In my story, I just start brainstorming up like how the society might work and things like that. It's kind of part of the planning process, but also more just like looking for inspiration. Yeah. There's, for, for me, there's, there's a lot of like pulling on material from other sources. Uh, it's kind of like the stealing and riffing idea of just like, you know, Bioshock had an underwater aquatic civilization, sort of, like a little city. Do I want it to be like that, like aesthetically at least? Like even if the, the inhabitants can actually like breathe underwater? Because like it doesn't have to be... If the inhabitants breathe underwater, it'd still be very different. Uh, but there can still be a lot of inspiration drawn from all these other places. Yeah. And I think that for the sake of originality, you usually want to draw a contrast there. Yeah. Or at least, you know, figure out what Bioshock did and then figure out the things that Bioshock didn't do. There's only one thing that Bioshock... I mean, there's lots of things that happen in Bioshock and that Bioshock does with its world building, but there's only one Bioshock. Right. And there's a whole bunch of things that aren't Bioshock. So you can get a lot of a lot of meat out of that trying to do a, a riff on an existing setting or character or or something like that. Mm-hmm. I do that a lot. Uh, I kind of worry about having other works infect my work. Like, I don't want to bring in too much of like Star Wars because then people will make that connection and i don't necessarily want them to and i don't want to i don't obviously want to have anyone accuse me of ripping off star wars Mm -hmm. if assuming i'm not writing star wars fan fiction and presumably i have my own thing to say which is saying something different than was said in in star wars right i think about that quite a bit because i don't know the the original fiction i write is more i always know what my influences are for the most part, and I don't want to want to copy those. I want to say my own thing. So I usually think about what I'm doing that is different, or what I am saying that's that's different, and I find that really helpful for for brainstorming. One of the other things I like to do with brainstorming that's somewhat related to that is once you find a single element to your story, you start going off in that becomes sort of the the anchor point for brainstorming for the different directions that you can go in. Unbreakable by M. Night Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. The hero is like, he's at the low end of superheroes, basically. And he's like big and strong and nearly invulnerable. And the villain contrasts with that. Right. It's uh, Mr. Glass. He, he All his bones get broken. Spoilers for Unbreakable. I hope. If you haven't. That's, if you, that's 15 year, years old, so. <laughs> Yeah, if you if you haven't seen Unbreakable, by the way, do yourself a favor. It's actually one of the few M Night Shyamalan movies that pretty much everyone consistently agrees is good. Yeah, but that works really well thematically and as a sort of I I have said many times and demonstrated my love of uh, symmetry and right. parallels and the Star Wars prequels get a lot of crap for being like poetry that people say that 
mm-hmm. sarcastically because it's there, there are a lot of mirror moments in there, but I really like those. Not in the prequel trilogy, the Star Wars prequel trilogy. The, the main reason I think that's mocked is because of excellent red letter media takedowns of the prequels that right. just kept hammering that home with that one with that one clip. But yeah, no, if if the prequels had been good, that symmetry would have been welcome, I'm sure. Yeah, and I think that symmetry and that reflection and that sort of rhyming quality, that's really good for brainstorming, because if you know one character, you have one character firmly in your mind, then you can find someone who is a reflection on them in some way, and that that person is more likely than not going to be good for your story because they will reveal something about that character that you already know. Mm-hmm. There's interesting ways to do this of just taking, they're not necessarily opposites, but they're like reflective aspects of each other. So um, if you've got a character that you consider, you know, lawful good, be like, what would this character look like if he was chaotic good? Yeah. Well, how would he interact with a character that was chaotic good instead? Things like, if you take a, a character that was, like, has these certain qualities and traits, they, and they had a very privileged background and upbringing and stuff that kind of helped them, like, make use of them all in the, the best ways they could, what would they look like if they'd been raised... In the gutter, so to speak, you know, without without any advantages, very poor, had to kind of make a life for themselves on the street. How different would they be? Like, what would a character like that look like compared to this person? How would they interact? All that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons that Batman has the best rogues gallery is because most of them are mm-hmm. reflections on him in some way. And I don't know if this is necessarily true because Batman's roots are very corny, I guess. <laughs> corny and complex. Yeah, I mean, but a lot of the early Batman stuff was just campy. You know, yeah, and it also just came from a lot of different sources. There would be like comic books, then the like a lot of the things that we consider like canon Batman today, like originated from things like the Adam West show. Yeah, but like the Joker is a reflection of Batman's sort of obsession and his lawlessness. There's the idea also of you know if you're coming up with a rogues gallery for a character and you and you have someone who's like embodies kind of like just insanity in that way. You just kind of start finding all these other characters naturally through, like, the other forms of Sandy takes. Just, I think you've mentioned before, is, like, something that's really cool about the rogue gallery of Batman. Yeah. In that it's, like, all just different different kinds of uh, mental illnesses, like, twisted into a, a evil form. Yeah. Uh, that's one other thing. For, for brainstorming, I like to go to ready-made lists. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I don't know. There are a lot of maps out there. Maps in the sense of, like, map and territory. Yeah. And you can just take those maps and put them on top of an existing idea or character and get something new out of it. Like, I've talked about character typologies, enneagrams, this sort of system of nine types, right? And if you already have a character, you can go to the enneagram system and you can be like, okay, if this character were a type, which of these, like, nine personality types would I call them? Right. You know? And then you have eight others sitting and waiting for you as sort of points of contrast and ways to go off from. Or, you know, if you're really into United States presidents, you can be like, okay, which president would my, would my character be? And then you just take that map and you, you go in a totally different direction than that map was intended for. Yeah. I don't know if you do that, but... <laughs> yeah, there's definitely that. Once I found something, it opens, it kind of opens doors that I can just find related things through, either either through research or just imagining them myself. Yeah. So once you have a character, you can take a character typology like Enneagrams, right? There, there are nine different character but uh, personality types that are defined by the Enneagrams, or there are four elemental humors that define 
people or uh, they're they're the Japanese blood types. Um, we talked about this in mm-hmm. our episode on different types. Character archetypes? Yeah, yeah. In, in on different character archetypes. But once you have a single character, you can take them into any one of those maps. And once you have said which Enneagram that they would fulfill, then you have like eight, eight others that right. are ready to fill. And you can do that with, with basically anything. Ba- basically any list or any map or anything like that you can do it with u.s presidents you can do it with uh major cities of the united states right if i decide mm-hmm. my character okay if they were a major city which would they be and i say well chicago and then what would the new york city equivalent character be i find that very fruitful for coming up with ideas and brainstorming away in my way into characters and locations Things like that. If Chartreuse were a location, what what would that be if my mm-hmm. home city is a plain red? Right. So how often do you use like group brainstorming efforts? I know we mentioned Reddit already in terms of a good resource for finding other ideas, even generating discussions on other ideas. Do you do you have like beta readers in your life that you like bounce ideas off of yourself and, and help have help coming up with ideas with? No. I very rarely go to Reddit to talk about stories or ideas because i think that's destructive to the creative process for me personally mm-hmm. i actually think it's destructive to the creative creative process generally uh-huh. that's a in terms of like talking to others about the idea in general or I, um specifically like reddit um i think in just talking to other people the, the more gotcha. you talk to other people the more you're using creative energy that is probably best used on the work itself oh i think i see what you mean well maybe so there's this idea that i forgot if this was like substantiated or not, but something I've heard a lot that if you, when you talk about the project you're working on, it kind of satisfies the same area in your brain as if working on it did. So it kind of like makes it easier for you to not work on the, on the thing itself because your brain kind of like is tricked into feeling like you've actually worked on it instead. Yeah. It's that kind of, it's that kind of idea. It's mostly based on my, not science so much as my personal experience with it is that once I've mm-hmm. told someone about an idea in depth or even just, in passing, it sort of saps my motivation, uh, my motivation and my my desire to repeat myself, I guess. Interesting. I have I have a kind of different experience with it. Uh, were you, you going to say something else after that? Or? Oh, uh, it's also been my experience watching other people. Gotcha. People will come in to like writing subreddits or uh, this happened a lot in college. People would like talk about their ideas and then nothing would ever get done with them. And... I, partly that's because most ideas are ideas are cheap. Uh, most ideas are just stillborn. But mm-hmm. a lot of people just talk about the projects that they would like to do, and then and then uh, eventually they just never do them, or they get halfway through and they, I don't know, they they put a lot yeah. of effort into talking and not into into writing. And I think that's probably because it's effort wasted, or I I don't know. I'm not a hundred percent sure that this is a real thing, but. So I just did some looking up, actually. Um, I couldn't find anything in the quick time I spent looking uh, about, like, official research. But this is definitely a thing that uh, other writers have, have mentioned and put into articles and, and, you know, talked about. I don't know if it applies to everyone the same way. I think for me, I guess I don't spend that much time talking about my, my work with other people. But there are definitely times when strategically talking with certain people about my work has been helpful in terms of getting uh, ideas or, or rough spots and 
brainstorming what to do in certain circumstances. Just as an example, for my uh, Guardian story, the uh, Fey modern supernatural story, a while back I had a lot of trouble, well, the idea was still, like, forming in my head. I had trouble thinking of what the motivation, what the motivation of the plot of the first book would be for for um, the characters working together. Like, they're, they're going to have an antagonistic relationship throughout the story. Uh, I don't ever want them to be on the same team in every respect, but I do like the idea that they, you know, will have at least some common goal for the plot, and then just kind of be trying to each achieve their their goal while undermining each other's. And so I, I thought about, like, I asked a couple friends of mine while we were having dinner one night, like, you know, what would they consider to be an interesting way to... What would be an interesting reason for the for the antagonist of the story to be doing something that would make both protagonists want to stop them. And together we all just kind of like worked out from there how it would go. That that would be the most compelling, the most interesting way to do that. And that helped a lot. Like that that like broke through the kind of trouble I was having on my own of, of finding an angle to attack the, the story on that way. And so like, I don't know how often people do that kind of strategic uh, brainstorming with others opposed to the gen- more general talking about your story in the sense of like, oh yeah, I'm writing a story about this and... Like, these are the things I want to do with it, and that kind of thing. And the other person just going, like, oh, that's cool, yeah, I'd like to read that. Right? Like, that that might be a different kind of talking about your story than um, the one I did, but I don't actually know. Yeah, that's actually, when I do talk to people about about stories or, like, ideas and things like that, I, I do t- try to talk in a way that is adjacent or, like, parallel to the story, but doesn't involve mm-hmm. the story itself. Partly because I think, it, this is also a personal preference thing, but I think people talking about ideas that they have is usually pretty boring. It's like <laughs> it's like someone talking about their dreams. Right, right. Sometimes that is interesting, but usually it's just a usually it's not. Gotcha. I don't I don't know if you agree with me about dreams either, but No, no, the, so the dream the dreams when I'm with you 100%. There are very rare occasions, I guess I should say 99%. There are very very rare occasions when someone talking about their dream is entertaining. Usually it involves something like that ties into the real world in an amusing way, usually like some inner joke kind of way with friends or something like that. But other than that, the vast majority of times people bring up their dreams, it's kind of like, yeah, this is this is great. I'm just gonna sit quietly till you finish and then change the topic. Yeah. Um, that's also um, this is something I've heard also with people who talk about their their tabletop games that they've been in. Oh right. <laughs> um, like not so much like oh you know I'm in a game and this is the kind of thing that we're doing or this kind of thing, but people who like recount last night's adventure or last week's adventure with people who aren't in the game. It tends to be this same kind of okay yeah. kind of feeling. Yeah. yeah. Whether this is a universal thing with story writing in terms of demotivating, I don't know. I haven't talked with enough writers to actually ask them about that, but I'm going to pay more attention to that going forward because it certainly doesn't seem to work that way quite as much with me. Yeah. It's one of those things where I don't necessarily trust people's internal feelings. I guess because mm-hmm. people have fun talking about their stories a lot. Um, right. I for National Novel Writing Month, there's a, a subreddit for that, and people talk about their stories and characters just incessantly. And then I I always think to myself like, is this is this motivating or is it demotivating? Yeah. Obviously, it's effort put into talking that's not being put into writing. But is it is it motivational force or or what have you. So so I, I always try to talk about a thing that's like the thing. For Dark Wizard of Dunkirk, I would like make a post of, here is the magic system. Magic systems suffer a similar thing. But I, I might yeah. say that because I go on the magic building subreddit a lot and I see a lot of things that I just like. 
I don't know. I, I part of it is that most people are not good storytellers, uh-huh. just in in general. And so if you get people who aren't good storytellers telling stories, then they're mostly going to be bad or or not structured like stories. You know, right, right. That might sound like cynical or or harsh, maybe. But also, being able to tell a good story in writing is very different from being able to tell a good story verbally or in a post that's not structured like a story. Summarizing a story entertainingly is not the same thing as writing the story. Right. Yeah. Those are different skills. Yeah, very much. So I will ask, like, what what is worth killing a baby for, right? I made that that mm. Reddit post for a Dark Wizard Dunkirk. I did not go, okay, so there's these two Dark Wizards, and they're like in this <laughs> right, cabinet, right. blah, 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 blah. Partly because I don't think anyone wants to hear about that, but partly because it spent the time and effort getting that into a post for other people to read. I have less incentive to, you know rewrite it. it it becomes editing mm-hmm. more than writing for me yeah i might just be weird in this sense because i'm thinking back to times that i've talked about people's stories with them and like kind of gave feedback or helped them figure out magic systems and stuff and i've always kind of enjoyed it so like it's it's never bothered me doing it for other people uh and i guess just the one or two times i can think of where i helped where i got brainstorming ideas from friends uh, that i talked to about my my story ideas um, i found it helpful so maybe i'm just weird in that sense i've definitely heard uh, your experience recounted more often. Yeah. Well, and I, I think going to other people can be can be very helpful just because they bring an outside perspective. I just I think it's a lot more trouble than I find it to be worth, especially if I'm if I have a novel that I've I've got 90,000 words written on it, then I would have to just have them read the entire thing in order to talk about this one specific thing that I want to talk about. So it sort of depends on how much how much context you need to bring in as well. Because if you're brainstorming, you have very specific requirements sometime, especially if you're, you know, if you're 90% done with planning for like a chapter, you know more than any reader will know or is going to know. Right. Like even if they, even if they read the whole thing, there's, there's stuff in your head that's like the background stuff. And those are part of your requirements. And it's really hard to, expose another person to all of that so i I think like a lot of times i don't know my experience has has been that a lot of times if you're talking to someone and brainstorming it's more helpful because they are telling you things that you know won't work and that sort of defines the boundaries of the problem yeah that's a useful way of thinking about it um i i think i'm gonna i'm also gonna pay more attention to the structure of the conversations so it's less to see if it's if it really is less boasting isn't the right word, but less recounting and more actual discussion. I think might be the difference too. Yeah, I always worry I'm boring people though. That's <laughs> that's a that's a personal thing. I worry about that when I like post chapters. Oh God, <laughs> am I just gonna get like five comments being like, uh, not a lot happened, and I was pretty bored. <laughs> As someone who's actually gotten feedback like that before for certain chapters, I definitely understand the feeling. Yeah, but I think if if someone at the very least if someone in your life is is asking, you know. Hey, what are you writing about? And wants to know more about one of your stories or something. I'm pretty sure, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I always try to do the the elevator pitch. Yeah, yeah. You know, because that's a, that's a very useful skill that I agree is not that linked to being able to write well. Being able to write like a blurb is very, mm-hmm. very useful. For anyone who's not aware, the elevator pitch is basically a, a framing device for if you have a story idea or a, a project idea or something like that, and you only had the length of an elevator ride to convince someone that it was a good idea or to invest in it or whatever, uh, what would you say? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a way of, of kind of helping focus in, down on the specifics and essentials of a, of a story or idea. Yeah, that is another thing that I find very useful for brainstorming, is framing yeah. a chapter as, like, what's the elevator pitch for this 
scene or this chapter, and then you can sort of it forces you to boil it down to what's essential to it, and then you can branch off from there if you need ideas for. I, again, ideally, you're doing the elevator. You're creating your elevator pitch very early on, and then right. I, I actually was rewriting a chapter of Glimwarden because I got to the end and I didn't know what my elevator pitch was. I got like, well, not not to the end. I got like halfway through writing the chapter and I was like, what is this chapter about? So I had to go back and figure out my elevator pitch for that chapter and then rewrite with that in mind and then sort of as part of the planning process there, brainstorm out from the elevator pitch for what's going to happen just to make sure everything was like thematically and character consistent and stuff like that. Gotcha. Uh, so if we want to practice a brainstorming session right now on something, I guess I already used the, the wise old wizard idea, right? The first thing that comes to mind is when I think of wise old wizards now, I don't want to do the Gandalf stereotype. It's boring, you know, it's been done a million times, or maybe it's been done a million times in the older uh, books now. Maybe it would be fresh and exciting again now to do it, but uh, I don't think it's quite at that point yet. The thing that, is, that I've enjoyed very much about wise old wizards these days is the slightly mad old wizard, but not actually like, you know, ooh, how kooky and random, but more of the, I don't know, like El Loden from Name of the Wind. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's kooky and random, but he's kooky and random in ways that are, speak to an underlying hypersanity, kind of. It's hard to describe. I don't know. How would you, how would you phrase that? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like the, the madness that has a method to it. I do, I do like that. I think for like a wise old wizard, like if we're properly brainstorming, mm-hmm. I'd either turn, I don't know. I guess I would look at each each like part of that in turn, right? Like mm-hmm. he's wise and he's old and he's a wizard, right? So if we go with old, is he like, you know, we, we could have someone who became a wizard late in life. Right. And that could add some like interesting things in. Like he was a, a farmer or a cobbler or something and he took up wizardry at the age of 65. Uh-huh. That speaks to me. I like that. Or it could be someone who is... I have used this idea in a story I don't think I'll ever publish, but it's a wizard who is old in like in like physical form because magic takes a toll and and it's like mm-hmm. every act of magic has poisoned him and so he's like thirty but he looks like he's in his sixties and he's got this atrophied right. body and gray hair and stuff. You know, he's so our, our wizard is is wise. What does that mean? Does he is he like hyper intellectual, hyper rational? Does he just like really intuitive? Yeah, breaking down each word to, to like how how does how's like these are these are descriptions. How is it shown in the story? Uh, is he is he sprightly and still like you know able to move around his house easily, uh, or is he actually like you know moving slowly with a cane? Right, uh, like you said, is he wise in the sense of like intelligent, or wise in the sense of having like deep understanding of people and and rationality and that kind of thing? Is he a wizard in the sense of like? fiery balls that he throws through from his hands or because he knows like deep in arcane lore yeah my my first instinct on brainstorming is to usually go counter to one aspect or many aspects of the, the description so i'd do instead of a wise old wizard he'd be young or he'd be not a wizard he'd be like a wizard of oz mm-hmm. type thing that absolutely throws a wrench into the plot though so probably is not well yeah it could be also interesting to have like there was a, like, you know, there was a wild, wise old wizard who lived in this hut, but then he died, and his apprentice is basically the, just known as the wise old wizard, and he's got all his books, so when the town, the town people come to him for advice, like, he can, 
he can more or less model what the what his what his master would say. But in terms of wizardry, he's still like you know a decade away from from actually being able to cast spells well at all. Yeah. So he's just more of just like a knowledge hermit. Yeah. And when you you start thinking about like our wise old wizard's surroundings and what he's been shaped by and like is anyone with him the traditional wise old wizard is a hermit and he has maybe an apprentice but um no family certainly so <laughs> so our wise old wizard might just have like a mother-in-law and uh, and like a brother that come over every so often and like bother him about the state of state of his house or yeah, something. Or or maybe he's like a grandpa and he's got a bunch of people living in his house with them. And right, right. I, I like those. One of the things I always do when brainstorming is I try to go in break the mold. Yeah, break the mold or just like figure out what the opposite directions are and then maybe bring in part of it. Because if I actually do want a legitimate wise old wizard i can go look at those those elements right right the genre comfortable options are always there yeah but you know if you can you can just take tiny steps away from that like if he Mm -hmm. really doesn't have any family and he's really a hermit maybe he still has a friend in town and it's like this young girl and people are kind of uncomfortable about the fact that she like comes over to watch him do magic Mm -hmm. and, and that stuff adds a lot of flavor and character to our wise old wizard without actually changing the fact that he's a wise old wizard that he's like a really stereotypical wise old wizard but you can do things like that that add in yeah or like instead of coming to wizardly wizardry you know at the age of 60 and having previously been a cobbler maybe he does cobbling on the side yeah like the majority of the time like wizard wizardry doesn't really sell well in this town especially maybe yeah and he's just kind of like he likes the locale but he doesn't want to he doesn't want to move to a big city and you know have to deal with all the noise and smell of everything. So he just lives out in the countryside where wizardry is mostly seen with suspicion. And that's why he's the wise old wizard in the forest instead of uh, one of those richer and more successful wizards in the city. Yeah. But that's one of the things I would say is is you can take a bunch of big steps away from your core idea and then take mm-hmm. turn those big steps into little steps. Yeah, I agree. So that was it for brainstorming. We might revisit this again. I think there was a guest of some kind that discussed brainstorming also want to talk about brainstorming also uh, so maybe we'll bring them on if we ever revisit the topic thanks for listening are there any ideas for future episodes that you want to listen to that you want us to talk about let us know any books or movies or things you particularly might want to hear us review let us know and tune in next time